didn't turn my recorder on. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's fine. We'll take it from this point. <laughs> but, you know, are we willing to pray? Are we willing to do these things? Are, you know, long life sometimes can be tedious. You know, uh, we get people get into this retirement age and they go, well, I'm going to retire. Can't serve God anymore. I'm just too tired to do it. Now, I used to think, you know, when I heard that, okay, when, you know, what's the big deal? But, you know, one day I kind of was looking at it. We're children. We're too, too young to do anything. We're teenagers. Nobody allows us to do anything. We're really too busy in school and, and athletics and trying to get into college. In our early 20s, we're, we're in college. We're starting a job. We just don't have time for God. I get into my 30s. My kids now are in high school, and I've got to be busy going to their games and all their activities. Get into my 40s. I'm entering into management level at work, and I just don't have time for God. I get into my 50s. I'm, I'm working on my retirement. I've got to get my, these hours in to get my retirement. Then I retire, and I'm too tired to, to do anything. And when will God become part of your life? When you make him part of your life. Every age has an excuse not to serve God. And it's something we need to be very careful of. There's never a time where we say, God, I can't serve you. Now, when you get older, will you slow down? Will you be able to do as much? Probably will. But don't slow down to nothing. Young people need to get busy doing things and working for serving God and choosing to serve God. Because it is real easy to make excuses, and then all of a sudden you get to a place where you go, my life's gone, and what did I do? I was always going to. I was always going to do something. And we want to be very careful with that. And that's what Solomon says in that chapter, long life. This chapter 7 talks about just wise things. Very much like reading Proverbs. <laughs> uh, he just gives you a whole bunch of wisdom say, stay, uh, stay, statements. In uh, 8, he talks about civil duties. And this is where he talks about having created parks and, uh, and amusing things and entertainment and everything. He says, I did my job as a king. I created a place where people could be able to do, do their things. And even that didn't help. But, you know, doing good for others didn't help. In verse uh, chapter 9, he goes back into that God allows good things to happen to the bad and good people. And allows bad things to happen to good and bad people. God is very merciful as far as that goes. He allows good and bad to happen. And, you know, we, we want to look at that section. In verse 10, we go back to why saying. In verse 11, he talks to young people. Basically, he's going to tell them, don't do what I did. <laughs> How many of us have tried to tell our kids, don't do what I did? You know, I've done that with some of my kids, and they don't listen. <laughs> they want to learn the hard way. Of course, I wasn't any smarter when I was young either, and didn't listen to my dad when he told me, and I'm sure he didn't listen to his dad. And, you know, and Solomon here is trying to talk to the young people, don't do these things. Follow God from the beginning. And some of us have been better at it than others. Some have gone way off into the, into the world. And Solomon's saying, don't do this. Then in chapter 12 is his conclusion. Now, I want to talk just a few minutes about the authorship of this book in for centuries, if not millennia, it was accepted that Solomon wrote the book. Why? Because it says he did. <laughs> okay, pretty, pretty simple. In the 1800s, uh, German rationalism came along and they started questioning everything about the Bible. And this got us to the place where maybe the Bible isn't true. Now, we're going to get the, to the end here. Well, that's a very dangerous place to get to. 
Now, they came up with five basic points on why Solomon probably wasn't the writer. They said the language was too advanced for the time. Okay, now you're, you know, you're talking about the smartest man that ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, and you're saying that his language was too advanced for his time. I would expect that. <laughs> it would not be a surprise to me that Solomon would have used language that was beyond his time because of his wisdom. So that one really doesn't hold much, that much on it. They go that Solomon never really used his name. Well, this is true. He never said Solomon wrote this, but in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, the, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Okay, there was only one direct son of David who ruled in Jerusalem, and that was Solomon. Now, you could say any of the kings that followed him were sons of David, and it's used that way, so that's not a definitive proof on it. In chapter uh, tw uh, verse 12, it says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in, of, of Israel in Jerusalem. Again, that puts us back to Solomon. And then in chapter, in verse 16, it says, I communed in my heart and said, Lo, I am come to the greatest that I have gotten more wisdom than all there that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, in my heart and my experience, wisdom and knowledge. He goes, I have got more wisdom than all others. And very clearly, that's speaking of Solomon. So the fact that he didn't use his name, I, Solomon, <laughs> wrote this book is not really a statement that says he didn't wrote it, uh, didn't wrote it, yeah, didn't write it, <laughs> because it's all through there that he wrote it. And so we look at this, the authorship issue of this. Uh, they say that he used the past tense. He goes, I was king over Jerusalem. And I go, well, obviously this couldn't be Solomon. Well, how many of us use the past tense in things like I went to the store yesterday or, you know, I was doing this or I was, was in charge of this, you know, you know, you may still be in charge. That's not really a definitive reason. And this is the problem when people start getting nitpicky and ripping things apart. They come up with the littlest excuses. And then it says, because he used the term over all the kings of Jerusalem. And if it was Solomon, that would only mean him and David. Well, do you know the history of Jerusalem in the first place? Jerusalem was a conquered city that David took. It had the Jebusites living there for a long time, and he could very easily have been referring to all kings of Jerusalem. So their argument there falls apart. But uh, the most important thing about this is, if we do not accept that the Bible says what it says, we have a problem. You all will know that there's, you know, one of the things I tell you that I will fight over is that the Bible is absolutely true. It says what it means, and it, and it means what it says. And everything is in there for a reason. If I start saying, well, this says Solomon wrote it, but it wasn't Solomon, where else am I going to stop and say it's not true at? Theologically, we must accept that this Solomon wrote the book, and it's not somebody saying that it's Solomon. Because if I say this is wrong, where do I stop? We already have a problem in the churches today. They're saying, well, the first 11 chapters of Genesis really don't mean what they say. They're just fairy tales. Don't, don't believe them. All right, so now we're saying throw those away. Well, you know, we know that, Jesus, that people don't come back from their life, so Jesus obviously never rose from the dead, so let's just throw away the resurrection. We know that nobody's ever been born from an immaculate conception, so let's throw away the virgin birth. What do you get left with? If you start saying it can't happen, 
and it's not true, we are left with a book that is totally worthless, and you're picking and choosing what you want to believe. And that leaves you with nothing to believe. That is really raising yourself to the level of, I am God. I am going to choose what is right and what is wrong. I've been studying the Bible for 48 years, and the one thing I can tell you, I found nothing wrong in it. No contradictions, no problems with it. I love it when I talk to somebody, because, well, you know, there's lots of contradictions in the Bible. And you all know what I tell you to tell you to ask them. Name one. And I've talked to a lot of people in colleges and professors and people who think they're smart. And they'll always go, well, you know, there's lots of contradictions in the Bible. I go, name one. Well, you know, I, don't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, have you even read the Bible? Well, not really. I was just told by, you know, other people. Well, did they ever read the Bible? Probably not. It's just an excuse because most Christians don't defend what they believe. Don't let yourself be put into this position where you don't know what you believe and ask people, what is it specifically that you have a problem with? They don't have a problem. It's just they're so used to using it as a defense. Well, there's lots of contradictions in the Bible, so I don't believe it. And we back off and say, okay, well, I don't, I don't, know, what the pro I don't know how to answer that. Ask them. What's the worst thing they can do? They can, tell you, they can tell you about something you don't know the answer to. And that's the greatest thing that can happen to you. You go, you know, let me go. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to go find the answer. And then you can come to me or go online or whatever you want, find the answer, because the answers are out there. The answers are easy for these guys when they do finally come up with some contradiction, supposed contradiction, because there's only six they're going to come up with, and they're all easily answered. Uh, they're all very easily answered with just a little bit of study and logic applied to them. They all are answerable. So there's really no contradictions, but I know the, I know the six that somebody's going to come up with, and I know how to answer them. Be willing to challenge these people. Know what you believe and be ready to give an answer. Because the world loves to throw up smoke screens. They love to just make things difficult for us. And so we want to look at this as we go on. We're going to be looking at this whole idea. This whole book is about the battle between a biblical worldview and a worldly worldview. Okay, how do we think? How do we act? Do we talk about God, or do we just say whatever comes to our mind? And this is something that I've been talking about a lot in our Bible studies and everything, thinking the way God thinks. And we did the Truth Project, which was all about thinking the way God thinks. And you know, I have something I've set up on the computer that I want to just help you with to try to try to get an understanding of how you all probably have a worldly worldview on on the topic I'm going to put up here. All right, what do you think about when you hear this word, prehistoric? Now, there's people who've been sitting in my Bible studies already know this point that I'm that I'm going to make. Okay, when you hear the word prehistoric, you're probably thinking about something like these little creatures here that, were, that the world tells us were, were, were uh, evolved at some three million years ago, that I will tell you were created on day six, about 6,000 years ago, because God created all the land animals on day six. Biblical worldview against the world's worldview. You might even be thinking something along this thing that was shown in school all the time. Man coming from ignorant, stupid, monkey-like creatures and evolving. That has a big problem in our world. 
The book of Job is considered not to be as old as it is. We know that it's the oldest book of the Bible because it's written about Job's time, about Abraham's time. The world will not accept that it's an old book because the theology is so advanced that they go, it cannot be the oldest book of the Bible because look how advanced the theology is. Worldview of the, of the world. Man, stupid, ignorant in, in, his, in his beginning form. Biblical worldview created by God. Perfectly smart, perfectly intelligent, taught by God in the Garden of Eden and fallen. What a difference you have when you, believe, when you start in, out in your, in your belief. All right, so we look at prehistoric. From a biblical worldview, the, world, the word is a lie. There is no such thing from a biblical worldview as prehistoric. Why? God started time in history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How much further do you want to go before time? There's no thing before prehistoric. Now, do we have a complete manual of everything that's ever happened in this world? No. But we have, a, we have God telling us what goes on. The whole thing I'm bringing on on this point is how many of us, when we first heard the word prehistoric, were thinking about all that other garbage that's from the world. Why? Because we've been bombarded on it. Our school teaches it, our, our books we read, the news, all the TV shows we watch, everything talks about this whole prehistoric idea. I say this mostly not to make everybody feel bad, but our views as Christians are heavily influenced by the world. Heavily influenced by the world. What do we accept? What do we allow? What do we think that, that's against the Bible? How many people, even in churches that say they're Christians, are living in fornication? You know, not married. You know, why? Because that's the norm in this world. You know, how many people, how many of us watch things that you know, blasphemy God on a daily basis on our TVs. And don't think twice about it. Because we have a world view that belongs to the world and not a biblical world view. The more you start to develop a biblical world view, the more you will change in this world. And the more you'll be praying for people to be changed. You know, and I've shared this with you all so many times. I can hardly watch TV anymore even on the channel my wife likes to watch, which is shows from the 60s and 70s. I can't stand those shows because they laid the foundation for the world view that was against the Bible. And I see it. Now, it's up to you on what you do, and I'm not telling you you have to be like me, but I'm just saying I've changed my world view so much that I look at these things. I watch what I read. I watch what, I, what I'm... What I'm uh, reading and watching on TV with the music I listen to. You know, challenging you. Develop your Bible worldview. Understand it so that when you see something as easy as this one. Now, is this one earth-shattering? Probably not. 
but you can see how easy it is for you to get the wrong world view. And I picked this one on purpose because everybody has this problem when, they, when you hear the word prehistoric. It is so ingrained in us to think, you know, Cro-Magnum man, big head, club on his hand saying, me man, you woman, you know, type deal, you know. Uh, we're, we're taught to think that way. And that way then has ramifications. You know, why, you know, what happened in those days before when, when all, of, all of this world was well advanced because God created it? You know, when we really look at this, God started everything, it started perfect. We have been de-evolving since. Our DNA is getting more messed up. Our sin nature is getting deeper and deeper into sin. We're becoming more and more unorganized in the way we live. And yet the science wants to tell us we're getting better. I have no idea what they're looking at in reality. Because reality tells us we're getting worse. Everything's getting worse. Diseases are rampant. All these genetic diseases are rampant because we are getting worse from perfection. Keep these things in mind as you're looking at it. Challenge yourself. Do I have a biblical world view on this topic? That doesn't mean you go around criticizing everybody for their, their world view. It just means, God, help me to draw closer to you. And the closer I draw to him, the more loving I'm going to get for people, the more gracious I'm going to get for people, because I'm going to become like him. I am so glad that God doesn't sit there and smack us around just because we fail you know, all the time or most of the time, or lots of the time, however, wherever you are in your life. But you know, one thing I've learned, the closer I get to God, the more I see that I'm sinful. Maybe not the same sins as I did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But you know, idea of, is my mind completely biblical? Absolutely not. It's, it's getting closer, it's getting better. But when you compare it to God, not there. And he says, I'm going to keep bringing this to you. I'm going to keep showing it to you. So my challenge for us is, let's start looking at a biblical worldview. Let's really let God change the way we think. Moving in the right direction to have a biblical worldview. You know, I've shared this with people. You know, how many times, and maybe you've even said this, why do bad things happen to good people? You, know, you hear that all the time. It was a question in the book of Job. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's the world's view of things. It's not the biblical worldview of things. Biblical worldview is, why do good things happen to bad people? We are all sinners. We are all bad. Now, we are saved in God's grace. We're covered. We're looked at by righteous. But you know, the real question is, why does God allow anything good to happen to us? Why did Jesus die on the cross for us? We didn't deserve it. None of us deserved it. Nobody that's ever lived other than Jesus, deserved it for him to come die on the cross for us. You know, we like to talk about, you know, innocent people. Well, that was an innocent bystander. Well, I guess for that particular event, they might have been an innocent bystander, but they're not an innocent individual before God. Does it mean that they deserved what happened? No, I'm not going that far. I'm not saying they deserved what happened to them, but I'm going to say they're not innocent. Okay? We need to be able to look at things from God's perspective and say, Yes, God loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to change. But let's start looking at the reality of God, what God says. God says we're all sinners. Every one of us, me included, are sinners. 
Most of us sin at least every, every day, every hour, every minute. <laughs> uh, and God still loves us and still forgives us. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be saved so that we could come to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life. That's what it means to be Christian. And God changes us. He makes us a new creation. One that's capable of living in victory that we talked about last week. So for us, we want to be able to look at, when we read the Bible, read it for what it says. And don't be trying to figure out, how can I get around it? We love to try to get around things. Lawyers are real good at this. How can I get this person who's definitely in trouble out of trouble? All right? And they'll twist and bend the truth and, and the laws and everything else. Don't we try to do the same thing? Well, you know, God, if uh, this hadn't happened and this hadn't happened and this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done this. And God says, nope, I'm not buying the excuse. Just as we didn't buy it from our kids when we were parents. You know, well, I don't care. You know, your friends did it. You shouldn't have been with your friends. You know, make better friends, you know, uh, whatever it might be. God doesn't buy the excuse. We need to be able to just say, God, I sinned. 1 John 1.9 says, if, I, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And we talked about the word confess means to say the same thing as. All right? When we tell God, God, you know, uh, well, I kind of messed up God. Nope, you didn't say the same thing God said about it. God, I made a mistake. Nope, you didn't say the same thing God said. God, I sinned. I was wrong. God says, got it. <laughs> now I'm forgiving it. If we try to make excuses before God, he says, no, we're out of fellowship. You haven't, you haven't said the same thing. So we want to look at these things. We want to be able to, to go forward. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to look at your word in a very strong light that what you say you mean. And Lord, help us to learn to change our thinking to agree with you and to go forward with you. Lord, we ask that you really care for us and keep us. Show us your love. Show us your desire for us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.